Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Tuesday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I'm your host, literally Heather. The war between Russia and Ukraine has taken a turn, which I'm sure will mean that you and I will be giving more of our money to them, but Ukraine was behind explosions that rocked two air bases deep inside Russia and killed three military personnel. The blast at sites hundreds of miles from the border between the two countries were the result of a Ukrainian drone attack, Russia's defense ministry said, potentially signaling a new ability for Kyiv to strike far from the front lines of the conflict. Two aircraft were lightly damaged, the ministry said in a statement, with four other people wounded. The Kyiv regime attempted to attack by Soviet-made UAVs the military airfields at Diaghilevo, I don't know how to say that, in the Ryazan region, and Ingles in the Saratov region. In an effort to disable Russian long-range aircraft, it was said, adding the UAVs were intercepted by air defense while flying at a low altitude. The mysterious explosions hit bases involved in launching attacks against Ukraine early Monday morning, just hours before the latest barrage of Russian airstrikes forced residents in the capital of Kyiv and cities across the country to take shelter as sirens blared. Power and water outages were felt from Sumy in the northeast to Odessa in the southwest, while at least two people were killed in the southern city of Zaporizhia. Kirilo Timoshenko, who is the deputy head of the president's office, said in a Telegram post, I'm probably going to have to learn Russian next because it's a language like the names just really mess me up. Russia's defense ministry said it had launched the strikes despite the attempts of the Kyiv regime to disrupt the combat work of Russia, Russian long-range aviation with a terrorist attack. Um, Come on, can we really call it a terrorist attack when you're literally shelling the entire country? Um, Moscow has consistently denied targeting civilians, but while such strikes have become an increasingly common feature of the Kremlin's war, blasts deep inside Russian territory are more unusual. Separately, a fuel truck exploded at an airfield near the western Russian city of Ryazan, An emergency services spokesperson was quoted as saying by state news agency, at least three servicemen were killed and three others were injured. A plane was also damaged, they said. Importantly, this base houses long-range flight tankers that serve to refuel bombers in the air. Ingalls Airfield is one of the most important bases of Russian air forces. Um, That was by... Uh, Ukrainian Interior Ministry advisor Anton Garashenko. Two regiments of strategic bombers are stationed there, which are part of Russia's aerial nuclear deterrence tactics. Moscow has lost over 60 wing aircraft since the war began on February 24th, uh, the UK Defense Ministry said Monday in its intelligence update, adding that aerial missions were down from 300 per day in March to just tens 
tens a day. In a separate tweet, it also said Ukraine had regained control of more than half of its territory Russia had captured since February. Awesome. It looks like they have it covered. Best of luck in taking back the other half. We're done shelling out all of our money. A federal judge Friday said she will decide early next week whether or not she would block a voter-approved gun law days before it is set to take effect. This is a very complicated area of law. Uh, It's Judge Karen Immergut explained she wanted to review the two sides' arguments and the cases they referenced before making her decision, particularly given a recent Supreme Court ruling dramatically changing the standards that must be applied to gun laws. It's a new landscape, Immergut said, issuing a temporary restraining order to block Oregon's Measure 114 from going into effect as scheduled on December 8th would be an extraordinary remedy. Though, that is exactly what the people who have brought the lawsuit want. The law would require anyone purchasing a firearm to get a permit first and ban magazines holding more than one, or I'm sorry, holding more than 10 rounds. The new provisions were narrowly approved by voters in the November 8th election, carried largely by broad support in the state's more liberal populous counties. Could you imagine being the type of person who wants to rob people of the right to protect themselves? Couldn't be me. In some rural counties, voters oppose the measure by as much as three to one margin. The lawsuit, one of three filed seeking to block the law from taking effect, was brought by the gun rights group, the Oregon Firearms Federation, a gun store owners, I'm sorry, gun store owners in Marion and Umatilla counties, and three sheriffs, Sherman County Sheriff Brad Lowry, Union County Sheriff Cody Bowen, and Mallard County Sheriff Brian Wolfe. Since Measure 114 was first drafted, the legal landscape has changed significantly. A U.S. Supreme Court ruling this summer rewrote the methodology judges must use when considering gun laws. Now, laws must have a basis rooted in American tradition, specifically the years between 1791, when the Second Amendment was ratified, and 1861, when the 14th Amendment was ratified. It's a new day. Attorney John Kempf said, arguing on behalf of the Oregon Firearms Federation, he said, decisions pre-Bruin ruling are in the dustbin. Those don't matter any more than anyone would cite Roe v. Wade in light of the Dobbs decision. Speaking after the hearing, Sheriff Bowen said high-capacity magazines are the norm, and enforcing the law would be a near impossibility. Bowen said guns are not the danger, and instead said, More needed to be done to address mental health. I'm optimistic, he said. I hope that the state and the plaintiffs can find some common ground, and ultimately we can facilitate something that helps make the state safer. Lawyers for the state declined to comment. Camp told Immergut that with the Supreme Court ruling, the decision is out of her hands. Bruin says constitutional guarantees are not guaranteed, if they are subject to courts. And that was Kemp's response to him. The Second Amendment extends to all instruments that constitute bearable arms, even those not in existence at the time of the founding. The state countered, however, 
pointing to explicit language in the Bruin decision allowing for pre-purchase requirements like background checks or safety courses. In that ruling, Justice, Justice Clarence Thomas wrote that nothing in their analysis suggests, quote, shall issue licensing regimes are unconstitutional, referring to states that have requirements to exercise their Second Amendment rights but that those requirements are not subjective or based on someone's ability to prove a need to carry or own a firearm. Rather, it appears that these shall-issue regimes, which often require applicants to undergo a background check or pass a firearm safety course, are designed to ensure only that those bearing arms in the, in the jurisdiction are in fact law-abiding responsible citizens, Thomas wrote. Towards the end of the hearing, Marshall told the judge the state would be ready to issue permits on December 8th, prompting a skeptical audience to erupt in laughter. Soon after the hearing ended, the Oregon State Police put out a statement reiterating the Measure 114 will become law on December 8th and saying the application will be available for download on the state police website that day. The state's background check system has experienced unprecedented volumes of firearm transactions never seen before in the program's 26-year history. The number of background checks being processed has led to a longer-than-usual backlog and delayed firearm sales, a concern for stores and customers. OSP said people whose background checks are not completed by midnight on December 7th will need a permit to complete their purchase. To avoid being saddled with firearms that they can't transfer to purchasers, many dealers in the state have started releasing purchased firearms after the legally mandated three days, regardless of whether or not the background check has been completed. A loophole, provisions of Measure 114 are intended to close. Immergat said she expected to rule on Monday or Tuesday as to whether to issue a temporary restraining order. Regardless of what she decides, a more involved hearing is still expected on the plaintiff's request for a preliminary injunction to block the law from being implemented until a final ruling on the law's constitutionality. Man, oh man. Staying within that same vein, newly introduced bills in Lansing, Michigan, ban future sales and ownership of semi-automatic rifles and the open carry of them in Michigan. State Representative Jeffrey Pepper of Dearborn introduced two bills to address gun violence. One bill would ban the possession and sale of semi-automatic rifles in 2024, and the other would ban open carry of long firearms in public spaces. Great Lakes Gun Rights, a local gun rights organization, opposes the bills. In fact, one of the bills... HB 6545, which bans open carry of rifles and shotguns in Michigan, makes it a five-year felony to open carry a long gun in Michigan. That's more jail time than assaulting a police officer. These bills wouldn't pass now because it's late in the session, but Boudreau thinks Democrats will push similar bills once they take the majority next session. However, he says... They should be careful in doing so. The National Foundation for Gun Rights is already suing several states 
for so-called assault weapons bans on the books. It's very possible we could see the U.S. Supreme Court take up such a ban, and that's where Democrats in Lansing need to be considering they actually want to push something like this, because it could cost taxpayers millions of dollars in legal fees if the Supreme Court is just going to knock it down anyway. Are you noticing a trend? You should be. Tyrants got a taste of what power and control really looks like over the last three years, and they want it more. The only thing standing in the way is an armed populace. Once that is removed, there are no barriers to entry. Welcome to the circus. Do you guys remember Michael Avenatti? He was an attorney that represented the porn star Stormy Daniels against Donald Trump and Julie Swetnick against Brett Kavanaugh. Well, he is back in the news today because he finally had his sentencing hearing. Michael Avenatti was sentenced Monday to 14 years in prison and ordered to pay nearly $11 million in restitution for embezzling millions from four of his clients and obstruction. Avenatti pleaded guilty earlier this year to four counts of wire fraud for each client he stole from and one count of endeavoring to obstruct the administration of the Internal Revenue Code. I'm not going to lie, I'm not really mad at him for trying to obstruct the IRS. A prosecutor said he obstructed the IRS's efforts to collect $5 million in unpaid payroll taxes for Tully's Coffee. The sentence, handed down by federal district judge James Selna, will begin after Avenatti completes a five-year prison term he's currently serving after being convicted in two separate trials in New York. Selna also ordered Avenatti to pay over $10 million in restitution to four clients and to the IRS. In pleading guilty earlier this year, Avenatti admitted to stealing millions of dollars from clients including $4 million from a client with major disabilities. According to the indictment, after Avenatti negotiated settlements for the clients that required payment to go to them, he would lie to the clients about the terms of the settlements, instead depositing the funds into attorney trust accounts that he controlled. He would then embezzle and misappropriate those funds. According to the indictment, and to prevent discovery of his scheme, He would tell clients the settlement proceeds hadn't yet been paid, among other tactics. Oh, how the mighty fall when you're out of the graces with the elites. Interestingly, there are entire montages floating around the internet of the media and politicians alike slobbering all over this man. They even floated the idea of him running for president. Yes, that actually happened. But when he paraded a deranged woman accusing a Boy Scout like Brett Kavanaugh of gang-raping girls at parties, the grounds they had made with Christine Blasey Ford were lost, and the entire affair appeared to be a circus, and the Democrats blamed Avenatti, and that was the extent of their tolerance and generosity. Couldn't have happened to a better guy, honestly. This story is fascinating to me. Um, At Twitter, Melissa Engel worked on civic integrity and political misinformation 
as a senior data scientist. Before the U.S. and Brazil elections, Engel wrote algorithms to moderate harmful content on Twitter. Engel was one of the 4,400 contract staff who was denied access to Twitter's internal systems last month because of Elon Musk's takeover of the social media platform and then fired. She said, I would help write the machine learning algorithms and monitor any kind of report on these algorithms that that scroll through Twitter for tweets that violated our terms of service, specifically as it involves political misinformation in the whatever the targeted country is. I just want to say this is similar to Yoel Roth coming out before the Twitter files dropped. This story coming out tells me we're going to see some interesting things moving forward. Um, Engel says, we monitored Brazilian elections, Japanese elections, the EU, the UK, Argentina, Mexico, anywhere we had a substantial presence. Engel explains that content moderation teams dealt with many types of misinformation and hate speech, and that the department reflected the health of Twitter. Quote, so we're the health of Twitter. And this is not anyone's personal health. This is the health of the platform. So that's making the platform a non-toxic environment that people want to spend time on and that the advertisers felt comfortable with associating brands. This was, of course, coupled with the human review team, where they're going through the tweets sort of mechanically, hand by hand, and looking to see if things existed that violated the terms of service. Honestly, I hope Melissa spends the rest of her life getting her order wrong at McDonald's. Ingle said, we've seen a really sharp increase in abuse, and this can be measured. Before I left, they reported that we were seeing a 50% increase in abuse day over day from the time before Musk purchased Twitter to the time when Musk bought it. This statement is in stark contrast to the information that Yoel Roth shared prior to no longer having a job at Twitter, as well as statements that Musk had made. She says that, in the long term, the algorithms will get continually worse at detecting hate speech and harassment, which has become evident on the platform since Musk's acquisition. I can confirm on this one because I can now use Kamala Cunt without getting suspended again. (laughs) Engel also discusses her experience with the lead-up to her termination. Before he purchased the company, you know, he was seeing some things that were extremely disparaging towards content moderation, which is my department. So he felt that he didn't trust us, Engel says. And this really didn't instill a lot of trust in us. The week before Musk's purchase, the environment at the company was chaotic. But after the acquisition, people came downright dejected. Engel says that nobody knew what they should be working on for the first week, including her. So I just kept doing what I'd been doing in the hope that I could keep this place relatively free of misinformation, Engel said. 
man, the God complex on these people. It's the most fascinating thing I've encountered in a while. You need me to protect you by removing all the bad words. I'm saving the world with content moderation. As a man who wishes to be recognized as a woman, Engel says support was felt at Twitter pre-Musk. Quote, there were a couple of transgender-focused Slack channels, there were LGBTQ-focused channels, and in general, people were free to, you know, live their lives. And my boss and department work were very supportive of my identity. Sometimes I feel like I'm in Alice in Wonderland, and up is down and down is sideways. Like, why do you have communication channels at a tech company where your job is programming or whatever specialty targeted towards your sexual preference. Like, where's the relevance in that? Why wouldn't that be a a Facebook group or a Twitter community? I'm pretty sure that's a thing now. Outside of your workplace. I just, I don't understand. Ingle said things changed with Musk's arrival. Why? Because he was there to run a company? And not worry about how you feel about your genitalia or who you want to have sex with? Quote, Elon Musk has tweeted out quite a few homophobic and transphobic memes, including, most recently, the attack on Paul Pelosi. She says, I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous and only serves one purpose, which is to incite homophobia. Or maybe... To shed light on the fact that nothing about the Paul Pelosi case makes sense to the average human being and it's funny? And it was on his personal page, not a company communication platform. Engel says that in the aftermath of Musk's tweets, staff challenged him, wanting to know how he can protect LGBTQ plus employees given his history of tweeting misinformation and homophobic and transphobic memes. He's your boss. It's not his job to protect you. And they're memes. I cannot believe that there are people out here like this. Engel said Musk just gave this kind of stock answer. Oh, we're committed to diversity and, you know, honoring all employees without really specifically trying to address what he or his followers have been doing, she said. Because he doesn't owe you or anyone else shit. Truly, the entitlement is real. That is your Tuesday edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. Hope you guys have a great day. Like, share, subscribe, do all the things. I love you guys. Hey, don't forget, uh, we got a great uh, special edition drop in the store. Uh, Go check that out. You got to do it quick. Otherwise, you won't get it in time for the holidays. So you guys take care. Have a great day. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.